Wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're going to be mine. Here's Jonathan Hood. Welcome to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Every Tuesday at 9.30, we give you your fill of sports entertainment slash pro wrestling. So glad that you're with me right here. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Don't forget the YouTube page as well, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Also on Instagram, it is WrestlingTWT as well. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to hear from Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com. We're going to get his thoughts about some of the storylines around professional wrestling. Uh, a couple of things off the top of my head before we hear from Mike here, and we're going to call him in just a second. Uh, I was on Busted Open on SiriusXM Fight Nation this past Friday. A great time with Dave LaGreca. If you have not heard our show, that's in the archives of the Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. You subscribe. That way you never miss any of our wrestling content. It's Some of it's on ESPN 1000. Some of it is not. Some of it is just exclusive for the podcast. But a uh, great time on Friday. Uh, we had Brian Alvarez from... Uh, Wrestling Observer, he was on the show. He was very affable, very interesting thoughts from him. So check that out on the TWT podcast. There's been some releases taking place in the WWE, and I can't say that I'm surprised because if you just go through some of these WWE wrestlers' Twitter pages and you see it's almost a cry for help for some of these uh, wrestlers that just want out, that they don't want to be with the company anymore. It it says something for wrestling that no matter how much money that you're making, if you are unhappy or if you feel like you should be pushed or feel like you should be doing more in the company and you just continue to hang in catering and never get a chance to really do anything in wrestling, you can ask out. And that's exactly what happened with uh, Sin Cara, with Luke Harper, and the tag team The Ascension. They're all gone from the WWE. ACH also gone from the WWE as well. Sin Cara said on Twitter uh, that he wants out. Luke Harper also said the same things, like, you know what, I've asked for my release. And the WWE granted the releases of a Sin Cara, by the way. Sin Cara, we start with him. Here is a Latino superstar before he came to the WWE. He comes there and he just can't get any traction. Someone that could be a really someone that you can enjoy and watch. And Sin Cara never got off the ground like he should have in the company. Luke Harper, who looks like Bruiser Brody from years past. Luke Harper, who was part of the Wyatt family, who can work. Somehow, some way, was always lost in the shuffle, taken off of television, came back to television. He asked for his release, and now he's going to go other places. If I'm Ring of Honor, if I'm MLW, if I'm AEW, or some of the other uh, organizations out there, I'd ask for some of those wrestlers to come. The Ascension was never going to work outside of NXT. When they're NXT, they were pretty good. 
But as soon as they even mentioned one of their promos, something about the Road Warriors or how they're better than the Road Warriors, ah, that was the end. You never compare yourself to Legends. That's exactly what the Ascension did, so they're out. So, um, you know, there's going to be more, too. We've had a number of other wrestlers that wanted out of the WWE as well. As I mentioned, no matter how much money that you are making in a company, if you feel like you're not being utilized properly, you can always bounce. You can always do it for your own sanity, for your family, whatever the reason. But those, uh, there's more wrestlers than what I just named that have asked for their release. We'll see if the WWE will grant more. I see that Seth Rollins has turned heel officially on Raw that took place last night. Um, no surprise, because Seth Rollins was this white meat baby face that was trying to say all the right things, and the fans were just spitting him out. Uh, and that feud he had with The Fiend, everyone was on The Fiend's side. People were booing Seth Rollins, even though he was the baby face. Apparently, in some of these house shows around the country, he's still working as a baby face as far as his actions are concerned. That hasn't changed. His wrestling is still the same, but Seth's. Uh, demeanor has changed now as he's been with AOP. He's almost got like two bodyguards with him now. It's not a surprise. Seth Rollins works better as a heel anyway. Uh, the, the, also, I saw the clip. I did not watch, but I saw the clip on YouTube about um, Rusev and Lana and their divorce angle. There's always been weddings and contract signings in the ring, but there's never been a divorce in the ring. A, a shoot, and not a shoot divorce, but just kind of like a storyline divorce of Rusev and Lana. I don't know who this is entertaining besides maybe Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon. Uh, I don't know th if this is entertaining anybody else on a regular basis. This has been a stupid storyline. And again, if you're one of those wrestlers in the back, like a Luke Harper, like Sin Cara and many others, um, and EC3 and so many others that are sitting in the back wanting an opportunity to get time on television, they have to sit there on the monitor and watch a Rusev, Lana, Bobby Lashley love triangle that is just dumb. This dumb television, mindless TV. Just don't understand. Um, I see that TLC, the card is going to take place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The TLC event that's going to be on the WWE Network. Um, there has been very few matches that have been unveiled for this card. It just took this week for them to talk about the matches on the TLC card. And I'm like, wait. Think about it. If you are a boxing fan or a fan of MMA, like if you are in a concert, right? How about this? If if there's a concert and you and this says, "Hey, concert happening tonight," and it's a concert happening in your area, would you go if it just says "music concert tonight"? Do you know what kind of music it is? Do you know if it's your favorite band? You don't know if it's your favorite singing group, but it just says "music tonight." Would you go? I think many of us would not go. We want to know what's on the card, what is on the bill for us to be able to spend our money for it. Comedy club tonight, comedians doing jokes tonight. Would you like to know who the comedians are? Is there someone on the top of that card? Would you just go because it's jokes tonight? That's what the WWE is doing. They have a show called TLC, and it only took to this week. Now, again, TLC is right around the corner, and now they're just unveiling the matches. That's just it's Vince McMahon, the WWE, just taking fans for granted. I would not go across the street to, t to see TLC. Honestly, I wouldn't go across the street to see it. Cause like, why should I, I mean, if you don't think that I need six or seven weeks of a build uh, of what your card is going to be and what your matches are going to be, then I don't need to see it. It's not important to me. Uh, I saw the uh, dog food angle. Did you see this on SmackDown? You wonder why some of the numbers are struggling on, um, Fox Network for SmackDown. And by the way, 
every time you look around, when you watch the NFL, you watch, uh, you know, watch boxing or watch any other event on Fox TV, there's always a snipe right there to be able to promote SmackDown on Fox. There's always commercial SmackDown on Fox on Friday nights. It does. It doesn't help the ratings when you have Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler um, handcuffing Roman Reigns and they're pouring dog food on his head. Of all the violence that I've seen in wrestling, when there's been a wrestler handcuffed to the ropes or to the ring post or whatever, and they go with let's pour dog food on the top of, of Roman Reigns' head. Two cans of dog food was underneath the ring. I mean, you, you talk about trying to get more people under the tent to watch a show on Fox, and then that happens. It, it's unbelievable. Again, I don't know who they're trying to entertain. I don't know who the WWE is trying to reach with that, but it's not reaching me. I'm an adult with a mortgage. Why would I, would I be entertained by someone having putting dog food on their head? It's just, it's just really strange. I tell you what, it really is. If you've missed some of my previous interviews or conversations about wrestling, I ask you to uh, download the podcast Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Look for that. Hit that subscribe button. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and of course YouTube as well. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday and catch up on some of my previous interviews and conversations about the world of, pro- of a professional wrestling. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We are so glad that you are with us as we are joined by Mike Johnson for PWInsider.com. As we have our conversation, go to PWInsider.com and check out the latest news, the uh, PW Insider Elite, the Q&As, and everything else that come along with PWInsider.com. Mike Johnson joins us here on ESPN 1000. Thousand, Mike Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for your time. Hello, Jonathan. How are you, my friend? Good to talk uh, to you. Absolutely. Same to you. Um, so, how similar or how different is wrestling in 2019 to the territory days of wrestling that we grew up with? Oh man, uh, I think it's similar, but it's different at the same time. Uh, it's similar in that there are more places for wrestlers to work full time than there's been in maybe since 2001. However, it's different. Um, where before you had the territories, so let's say, you know, there's, for argument's sake, let's say there's 10 territories in the United States, right? So a wrestler and their family, they go to that territory, he works or she works there for a certain period of time. As, in, as with all things, it starts to lose its flavor. I can head somewhere else. I can go from Texas to Georgia. I can go from Georgia to Portland. I can go from Portland to New York. And I can basically redo the, the same character I've already portrayed. Or I can go and do something different. I can be a, a hero. I can be a villain. I could have a totally different character. I could go under a mask. Basically, my role could be the bottom of the card or the top of the card, depending on what the promoter wants. And I'm going to get paid accordingly. Now, especially with the advent of the Internet, there are so many independent promotions that also get a lot of attention because they can stream stuff on Fight.TV or YouTube or Twitch or any of these other places. So they're not running a traditional territory, they might be running one show a month, but they've got a big show every month. So you basically have a generation of independent wrestlers now who are almost like the old school vaudeville performers where Mm -hmm. I do my act, the next night I get on a train or I get on a plane, I go from New York to Philadelphia, I do it again, I go from Philly to Pittsburgh, I go from Pittsburgh to Orlando, I go from Orlando to Nebraska, I go from Nebraska to Seattle, and they're basically performing their same moveset, their same match with different opponents every night. So they're not working in one area 
they're working in a lot of areas, and it's like a series of one-night stands. So it's kind of like, you know, Abbott and Costello, they're playing in New York, and now they're off to Pittsburgh, and now they're off to play the Catskills. And so it's kind of similar to that, and I, it's fascinating because it creates a lot of monotony, I think, where if you're a following a star, we'll use, a, we'll use the Briscoe brothers from Ring of Honor, for example. Mm-hmm. So you're following the Briscoe brothers. If you're watching all these matches, they might seem very similar to you, but when they're hitting all of these different areas to that audience in each individual area, it's very fresh and it's very new to them. So it, it, and, and, and independent wrestler now, especially, they have to play to so many different audiences because you're not just playing to the audience in the, in the house live in the show, but you're playing to your audience that's following you on social media. You're playing to the audience that's following you via uh, all the online subscription services now. So it's different, but it's similar. I probably think that the territory area era was better in terms of awareness for talents because wherever they were, chances are they were on some major local station and they were drawing far bigger houses. And with the advent of cable, all those little local stations are now gone. So you're not going to draw based on your television. Um, So that is worse for the talents, but they can – find other ways to make money that in ways that the territory wrestlers didn't they can sell t-shirts online they can sell autographs they can sell they do the cameos where you can do like the the personalized greetings on video so there's more different potential ways to make revenue even for talents who aren't signed to an aew or a ring of honor or a wwe or an impact I, you know some of it's the same some of it's different it's just it's the it, the, the the entire alphabet soup of what pro wrestling was kind of became discombobulated and has been reassembled in a different in a different pattern that's all yeah mike i guess the the sidebar to that i was going to ask you is is the money the the money in hand for what you did in ring commensurate to say the 80s the 70s and 80s when it comes to territories because yes you can be able to have a hot topics and have your own t-shirt have your own merch i'm i'm wondering what that money looks like if a if a wrestler that's a free agent goes to territory to territory making good money, I wonder how similar that is to, say, the 80s. Well, you know what the difference between then and now is? Then you were paid based on how the show drew, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were on a show with Hulk Hogan and that was the tour, you were going to make more money because the show with Hulk Hogan on top in the WWF was going to draw far more money and have a bigger crowd than, say, WWE secondary show, right? So right. the way the territory worked is if you work in the undercard, you got paid X, and the farther up the card you went, the more important you were to the card, you got paid more money. Now most independent wrestlers, they negotiate, here's my fee, we'll say $500, for example, $500. So if they're working four matches over the course of the weekend and their fee is 500 bucks, they're walking out with $2,000, possibly even in cash, depending on the promotion. So on paper... They're probably making more, but it's more of a hit and miss, and how can I get myself booked? Where in a territory, you had a guarantee of you were going to make this bottom amount per week, and the more involved you were in the storylines and the more involved you were in drawing people into the, into the, the buildings, you, were, you had the opportunity to make more. So it, 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 the, the system has changed completely, even from the way that WWF handled things, because WWE – now you have a downside guarantee that you're going to get paid X no matter what every month. And then if you work some house shows, there's a bonus. If there's merchandise sales, there's a bonus. 
There's not, a, you know, there used to be bonuses for pay-per-views. Now those are kind of different because of the WWE Network. They're calculated differently, and there's not even, like, really a publicly known calculation for how that works now compared to the old days of the pay-per-view buy rates. So it, the system has changed. I think there's probably more talents making consistently decent to great money now than there's been in about 15 or 20 years. But if we go back and we compare it to payoffs from the territory era, there were probably guys and women making more money being in certain areas, but not everyone was making more money. Like now an undercard guy can say, well, I'm not going to work for less than $400. And if the promoter wants to pay him $400, he's going to get his 400 bucks, whether the show drew 10000 or the show drew 1000 or the show drew 50 people. It all depends on, on the negotiation. It, you know, but it, it really is, you know, a series of one-night stands. And, it, you know, they're out there kind of as, you know, weekend – some of them are weekend warriors and some of them do it full-time. It all depends on how much they're going to – how much they've negotiated and they've agreed that they're going to get per date, where before you're getting X amount per week – and it might fluctuate based on how the territory is doing. Since there's no week to week, and you know, this is there's no groups like Memphis where you would run four or five days in a row. That one show, you're you're hitting your nut right there, and you're getting your money, and then you're off to the next show for the next promoter. It's it's a different world. Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com with Jonathan Hood for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I want to. I was going to call you and have you on the show like five or six weeks ago, but I said no. I'm going to wait until Mike and I and everybody else was able to see AEW for at least ten or eleven weeks for us to get a kind of a gauge on the direction of the of the program. So, is there a like and a dislike that you've seen so far from AEW? I think the the the, the brand new car smell has kind of worn off a little bit, mm-hmm. but they they have such a devoted audience that it's almost like they can do no wrong in the eyes of certain people. Uh, I like the product. I think the, the, the work ethic of their crew is excellent. I enjoy a lot of the promos. Sometimes I scratch my head, like, you know, as we record this, Cody Rhodes had last week issued a challenge to MJF, but MJF didn't respond on the television show. He responded on Twitter, which to a younger demographic, I get it, but if you're only watching the show on TNT – now you've missed an important, an important piece of that puzzle, and we'll see when AEW Dynamite airs this week, I think they're in Garland, Texas, whether they follow up and they make the audience known or whether they ignore that completely and just do a different storyline step. You know, I feel like AEW Dynamite should be your destination where everything takes place and everything important that you need to know is on that show. Sometimes the stuff's on the AEW Dark show that's on YouTube. Sometimes it's on Being the Elite, which is one of their YouTube shows. Sometimes it's on Twitter. And I feel like for to, to you should never assume everyone watching your show or everyone reading your article, this is a, an important lesson I learned as a writer, you should never assume that your audience knows everything you do. You have to tell them. You have to explain it to them. You have to spoon feed them. A lot of people kind of roll their eyes at WWE because the talents always have the same entrances and the same five moves and the same sort of positions when they're walking to the ring. But a lot of that is what I call Dr. Seussing it they're basically creating a rhythm for the audience to kind of understand what's happening, who these talents are, what their stories are, and to teach the audience, all right, this is an important move. The Undertaker's hitting a tombstone. This could be the end of the match, and if someone kicks up, it's going to be a big deal. I think AEW, because they're trying to strive to be completely different, and there's such a frenetic energy to what they do inside the ring, that pattern doesn't exist. 
You know, you, you we know, if you know who the Young Bucks are forever, you know when they're going to hit their synchronized moves and you know what their finishers are going to be. You know the Melter driver's coming or whatever. But if you've never seen them before and you have to think there's people who are watching that show who never watched any of these guys in New Japan or Ring of Honor or the Independents, they probably are kind of scratching their heads going, wait, what's going on here? Especially if they're WWE fans who have only been watching that for 19 years and they've migrated over to a new audience. But I like the energy of the show. The one thing that show has over everybody else right now is that audience live is so intense for everything. It makes you want to be there. It makes you want to go. Like, I know that, you know, they, they just announced they're going to be part of C2E2 there in Chicago in the end of February. And to me, like, knowing if they're going to do a live event as part of that, to me, as an, as an audience member, as someone watching that show, as someone who analyzes that show, that audience participation, that audience passion makes me want to go to AEW. Uh, every time I've gone to one of their pay-per-views and I've covered it live, the audience to me is a big part of the show, far more than WWE, where WWE, and it's, I don't mean to sound negative, it's almost like Pavlov's dogs. Like, all right, we know the music hits here. We know the guy's going to stand up here. We know Seth Rollins is going to do stomp here. When I go to AEW, there's more frenzied energy to it where the audience is into it as if they're watching a sport, which has kind of been one of the things that they've talked about they want. They want to have more of a sporting feel. And the audience lives and dies more by the by the near falls and the close the close near finishes and things like that. I like it. There's room for improvement, and nothing's ever going to be perfect after I think nine or ten weeks. Um, but I think you know there's very good wrestling on it every week. And if I could give them one piece of advice, it would be that they should make sure that what they have planned, someone from the outside who's not part of their inner circle, no pun intended not inside the bubble of the AEW, can look at it and understand it as if they're watching it for the first time. Every week someone's going to discover the show for the first time. You want them to feel like they're welcome in watching it, not like they're on the outside watching a TV through a closed window where they can see it, but they really can't hear it and they don't know, they can't feel it. And I think in, in their pursuit of trying to do so much so quickly, there are times where people, because we, we hear from readers all the time, go, I don't understand this character. I don't understand why this happened. Who are these people? They need to kind of take a deep breath and fill people in on who these talents are, where they are in the storylines, and why you should care about them. But I would say the same thing about just about any wrestling promotion that I would watch for the first time. You know, if you watch New Japan on Access TV for the first time and you don't know who Okada and Tanahashi are, you're going to kind of scratch your heads and go, I don't understand what's going on here. What is this? So I think, you know, it's especially in 2019, a big lesson that everybody needs to remember is just because you know it and you understand it and you're in the middle of that rhythm doesn't mean everybody who comes across it is in the same place as you. So you kind of have to welcome them in. You kind of have to bring them in so they can understand. Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com with Jonathan Hood on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's interesting you tweeted a couple of days ago, Mike, that you were, had uh, Brian Pillman cross your mind. And for some of our younger listeners, maybe they didn't see Brian Pillman in his prime and how good he really was. I wonder what Brian would be doing if he were alive today. Oh, man. I love Brian Pillman. He was the first person in the wrestling industry to kind of open up the doors and explain to me, like, hey, this is how this works, and this is why I care about how much money I draw, and this is why I care about all these things, and, and kind of explaining some of the politics of it. You know, he's one of these guys who set the table for pro wrestling as it exists today, but sure. didn't get to enjoy the meal because he passed away so young. But when you think about 
breaking down the fourth wall and, you know, everyone talks about the CM Punk pipe bomb. You know, that was really, hey, I respect you, Booker Man, with Kevin Sullivan on the WCW <laughs> Uncensored pay-per-view. That was, yes. the, you know, kind of the, the, the scaffolding of the foundation of what would later become known as the pipe bomb or the shoot interview and things like that. Where would he be today? Well, if he was healthy, which I wish he was, I'd like to think he'd probably be producing um, or coaching or helping his son become better in pro wrestling. I don't think because he had the ankle that was fused uh, and that hampered his physical ability and he had been so banged up in the wake of that car wreck in 96. I don't think he would have had a longer in-ring career past another couple of years. I think by like 98, 99, 2000, he probably would have been done by the end of that WWF contract. I think he would have had a stronger run because his best friend was the biggest star in the world. And if Steve Austin was Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper would have been the best, excuse me, Brian Pillman would have been the best Roddy Piper for him. Um, And I think he would have had a hot run, and then the body would have broken down, and he would have slid over into doing commentary or managing or producing. And I don't know if he'd still be involved in wrestling on a national level, because you look at the WWE management now versus the late 90s, it's a complete turnaround, changeover. But I think he'd still be around. Maybe he'd have a school or he'd be doing seminars. He'd be certainly doing conventions and probably raising some hell. But I think he would still be involved. I don't think he would still be wrestling. But I think wrestling would have been would have been healthier for him, because with him involved. Because when you think about it, one of the things that changed about pro wrestling in the last decade where there were so many great wrestlers who probably would have went on to be the next series of great trainers who passed away early whether it be Eddie Guerrero or Brad Armstrong, Chris Benoit, whoever, they would have been able to pass on their knowledge and their tradition and their in-ring know-how and their, their psychology in terms of performing to the next generation, and instead that was lost. So everything that was passed on to them died with them. And so I think you know there's been sort of a catch-up with a lot of the current generation in terms of trying to figure out what the psychology is, because these guys were not there to pass it on. You know, like MVP was the last guy to kind of be mentored in a way by Chris Benoit, you know, and how many other people might have been mentored by Brian Pillman or Eddie Guerrero or Brad Armstrong or any of these other guys who were such great in-ring performers. And even if they weren't the top stars who drew the most money, they were the guys who kind of held the foundation of the shows together, and they were kind of the great utility players that you could put in any role, and they learned from all of these great talents that they worked with and were coached by from previous generations and working all over the world, and those lessons are lost. So, you know, to me, that's the, one of the real tragedies, other than, you know, a fa- these families lost their, their fathers and, and their brothers and their, their sons and their loved ones early. The other great tragedy is the knowledge that they absorbed like sponges they never got to pass on to the next generation. And I think the current generation is is not that the wrestling isn't great athletically, but a lot of times the psychology and the storytelling of pro wrestling as it existed has kind of dissipated and been diluted in pursuit of how many moves can we do in five minutes? I and I think if some of those talents were around, it might have been a different sort of ripple effect of what the next generation learned. Mike, uh, I, I see that the... Uh, matches are starting to trickle in for TLC in Minneapolis, uh, the next pay-per-view for the WWE. And I, I just can't stand it as a fan because it is the equivalent of 
going having money to be able to go to a boxing event and they say boxing is coming to your town and it's like great well who's on the card boxing is coming to your boxers. town. <laughs> there will be boxers <laughs> you know ufc whatever number we're on right now ufc is gonna come to your hometown get tickets now oh okay great i haven't seen ufc before well who's on the card that's right. UFC is coming to your. It's the same thing with the WWE. Uh, it, Vince McMahon, to me, has, and this is not new. This is just something I just want to bring up now because it's a great opportunity to do that. This, it is just taking advantage and taking the fans for granted. Oh, it, there's going to be the WWE is coming to town like it's the Harlem Globetrotters. So, of course, you're going to come because it's the WWE. And to me, if I'm someone that's trying to cobble together money, to be able to do this during the holidays. Well, I would at least like to know who's on the card so that way I can buy tickets. Um, but if you're not going to tell me who's on the card until now, then, you know, I'll save my money on watching the WWE Network. I guess either way, Vince wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I always feel like if you are trying to tell your audience that something is a marquee attraction that they should attend or that they should watch on the WWE Network, or in some cases, some people still order the pay-per-views every month, which is madness, but they, they choose your own adventure, um, you have to tell them that it's important. You know, we all know that by the end of each TV show, the season finale is going to be an important part of the future of that show, whether it's This Is Us or 30 Rock, or The Walking Dead, or whatever. We know they're building to something, right? Right. With WWE, a lot of times they're just like sort of lackadaisical. Like, oh, yeah, we got this. Sh- like, we got Raw. We're going to do a divorce and I'll have some matches. And we'll further some stuff and some other stuff. Everyone will kind of run in place. And wrestling is very unique in that way, in that the audience, for whatever reason, lets them get away with it passively. And I feel like the, the more involved you are in watching everything, the less you are rewarded because there are so many bloated segments where characters kind of stand in place and talk and nothing ever gets resolved. But yeah, the pay-per-view thing is weird because, all right, so you got Roman Reigns against Baron Corbin. All right. He dumps dog food all over him. Kind of stupid, but that's all right. So that's the big antagonistic move. Fine. That's, what that's else a, do we have way, on the Mike, show? That's a, that's a long way away from Tom Pritchard and, and Dirty White Boy and Continental. I want to talk to Tom. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I love you for bringing that up, by the way. It's one of my favorite continental moments. Um, but, it's, you know, it, to me, this is like, you know, like when the, the giant shaved half of Hulk Hogan's mustache off in WCW. Like, this is what we're avenging now. This is the big terrible thing that the villains are doing. But, you know, beyond that, you know, yesterday or, 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 or two days ago on Raw, whatever, the, whatever it was, they just announced then, oh, there's a tables match. Oh, there's a TLC match with the Kabuki Warriors and Charlotte and Becky. And I'm like, the show is this week. Like, why do you not want to get your audience engaged? And why do you not want to get them excited? Like, one of the greatest things that I loved as a kid watching WWF house shows in Madison Square Garden was before the main event, Howard Finkel got in the ring, and he ran down from the bottom of the card to the top of the card what was going to be the next show. And the further up he got, the more dramatic it got. So by the time he was announcing Randy Macho Man Savage or Hulk Hogan or Rowdy Roddy Piper or the Ultimate Warrior, it was like the most important message in the world at that moment because he was so good. And now it's like, oh, yeah, we're on tour. Come see us. Blah. Here's some matches. Maybe they'll happen. Maybe they won't. And then they, they, they scratch their head and they wonder why the house shows are down and the live events are down and, and they've lost they've lost some retention of subscribers for the network. You have to 
you it's there it's your story if you're not telling me your story is important why do i want to read the book and it's that simple mm-hmm. and i don't i i know that they're at the whim of Vince McMahon, and he's going to change his mind a hundred thousand times a day because that's what he does, and that's what someone in that position does. But by going back and forth and being so, um, I don't want to use this word because I, I don't want to offend anybody, but being so schizophrenic in how they present their storylines, it creates a confusion and it creates a disconnect. And we're in the Attitude Era. They had huge stars where no, no matter what they did, because you go back and watch some of those storylines, so some of those stories made no sense whatsoever. But they had so many hot characters between The Rock, Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Mankind, Triple H, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't care because you were tuning in for the pomp and circumstance and the over-the-top ridiculousness of these characters. Now they don't have all that ridiculousness to propel them. The storylines need to be stronger. And since they're not, they're kind of just... Instead of running the marathon, they're just kind of jogging in place. And some weeks, it's better. Some weeks, it's not. But at the end of that three hours, you're kind of like, what did I just watch? And i got to watch more of it on Wednesday? And then i got to watch more of it on Friday? And then i got a pay-per-view on Sunday? Like, you know, I understand the TV revenue is more important than the pay-per-view revenue, but you have to have your end chapter. If we built up to Avengers Endgame and we didn't care about anything that happened in Infinity War, why do I want to go see Endgame? And they've kind of, they used to be really good at building to a point where you're like, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen at the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania or TLC. And now it's just another TV show. And then they wonder why they don't have the retention that they used to have. I see that uh, NWA Into the Fire pay-per-view is taking place this Saturday in Atlanta. I've been watching this show religiously. And I'll tell you, Mike, um, you know, it's it's kind of like baseball. I don't want to see a fastball for every pitch. And so when I see the NWA, it's kind of a curveball, a little bit of a slider, a little change, which is good because everything's 100 miles an hour in a lot of wrestling. But this is a nice change of pace. It's a nice, you know, 75-mile-an-hour breaking ball. And to see Nick Aldis uh, in the ring against James Storm for the NWA title, best, best of three falls, two referees, that's going to be special. I, I like what I've seen so far because it is a throwback from a bygone era. The one thing I really love about that show is when the wrestlers go out there, they're cutting the promos off the top of their heads, Mm -hmm. and they're doing their interviews, but the audience is right there in front of them looking back at them. So if the audience reacts to something, they love it, they hate it, they want to heckle it, the wrestlers are not trapped like a WWE wrestler would be, where they're kind of scripted and they have to hit a certain endpoint by a certain period of time where they're going to miss their time cue and they're on the USA Network and we've got all this money invested and, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. The NWA guys can kind of play – instead of having to treat it like it's classical music where I have to hit this beat at this moment or I'm screwed, they can play it like jazz. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go that way. And the fact that they're on YouTube, they can post-produce it, gives them a lot more freedom and leverage. But it's it's refreshing to watch, and I wish other companies would kind of adopt it. Uh, I think AEW, some of the promos that those guys do, you can tell they're not being strongly scripted. They're kind of speaking from the heart. And to me, if someone's speaking from the heart, and I believe in the conviction of their words, even if I don't like them, I'll believe them. And one of the things wrestling used to have that it lost is kind of what reality TV does now. When we watch a reality TV show, whether it's Survivor or Amazing Race or Love After Lockup or 90 Day Fiance, we see these over-the-top personalities, and we think they're out of their minds. And maybe some of it's staged, maybe some of it's not, 
but it's so entertaining that you believe in the conviction of what they're saying, and you want to see what ridiculous is going to happen next, good or bad. That used to be something that was quarantined to just pro wrestling because it was off the cuff and people reacting in the moment, as opposed to now where it's, you know, a lot of times it feels like there's high school students who are trying to put on Shakespeare but don't have the chops to do it, and they're trapped doing it, and it, it just doesn't connect with you. The NWA is kind of taking a step back and trying to bring some of that old tradition into 2019. I enjoy that show every week. How can you not love seeing the Rock and Roll Express win the World Tag Team titles yeah. at their advanced age? You know, it's the Rock and Roll Express. Some of the stuff, I'm like, eh, I don't really like it as much. But the overall feel and the overall heartbeat and pulse of what runs through that NWA Power Series is very fresh. Everything old is new again. It's like going to see a classic movie, um, maybe with, um, uh, you know, cleaned up for Blu-ray. It's what you remember. Maybe it's a little different than you than you imagined it was, but you're still enjoying the heart and soul of it. I think the NWA is on to something, and I just hope that they, uh, you know, it can be successful for them. Nick Aldis uh, has said publicly that the pay-per-view buy rates for their Into the Fire show are the best pre-sales they've ever done on Fight.TV, and one can only hope that means that they're going to be in a position to make even more money because, you know, the, the key to all this content is if you like it, support it, and spend money on it because if not, the people who are footing the bills at some point, no matter who it is, they're going to say it's not a worthy proposition. It's time to shut the doors, and that's the same for anything. You know, it could be a WWE Network series, could be AEW, could be the NWA, could be your local independent company in Chicago like AAW or some of these other groups. You know, if the, if the audience isn't there to support it, at some point, it's only going to have a finite lifespan. Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com with Jonathan Hood on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Mike, um, a couple of things, and, and I really appreciate your time. I'm concerned about ROH, Ring of Honor. Um, in Chicago, Ring of Honor came to the Odium, and they did not draw well. And you know Chicago. You've known 2019. I mean, this is... This city's been on fire for wrestling. All the major events seemingly have been here, from AEW to WWE Impact Wrestling. I was in the same building that ROH was in for the Odium, and it was staying room only. You cannot get another body into the Odium to see Impact, which is interesting because Chicago is a crazy wrestling town, as you well know, but at the same time, like these are people that are watching Twitch or trying to find Impact someplace, and yet they knew exactly what was going on in the program, just talking to some of the fans there. So... I'd like to know from your, your reporting of what you've heard about ROH for 2020 because this story of ROH being part of a show with New Japan selling out Madison Square Garden to where they are right now, it doesn't it didn't seem like it's um, it's uh, it, the arrow's pointing up for them for the future. Yeah, it, it, it's been real disconcerting for someone like me who's covered Ring of Honor since before the company had an official title name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember having conversations with Gabe Sapolsky as they were going to open this company and they were trying to figure out the title and what the name of the promotion was going to be. And I was, I, I was at the first show in February of 2002, and I've traveled all over the country and even into Canada to, to see Ring of Honor shows and cover them. You know, I, I was inside Madison Square Garden, and to me that was like one of the more special nights of that week. And I, there are there are moments where, as a fan, as, you know, as a reporter, you kind of put the reporter hat aside, and as a fan, you go, "Man, this is kind of cool." Walking into Madison Square Garden and seeing the Ring of Honor and the New Japan logos on the on the on the Trons was ridiculously insane as a, as a lifelong New Yorker for me to see. Where you know there was never anything but WWF, WWE in the Garden. You know, you were never going to work there unless it was you went to WWE. 
and Ring of Honor broke that mold with New Japan, and now the idea of them running the Garden again seems almost laughable. It, you know, like 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 it didn't happen. Like it was a different promotion. Um, they've had a they've had a rough year between the talent that they lost, their inability to replenish. They brought in great wrestlers, PCO, Joe Henry, um, uh, Brody King, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right on the line. They recently signed Dan Moff, who I love on a personal level. I think he's a great talent. I'm excited he's going to get a spotlight. But we've never seen a promotion have six or seven wrestlers leave at the same time. Which meant not only were there seven voids to fill, but now we had to tell seven stories from a brand new chapter one. And I don't think Ring of Honor has figured out the right mix. I think it was a mistake putting everybody in one group with lifeblood and kind of having factions where they should have just let the guys go out there and have great matches just for the hell of it and blow people away with great wrestling. And I think they were trying to figure out the right formula for their TV show. And I think a lot of it, honestly, was their parent company was in the middle of purchasing what is now theirs, the former Fox News, Fox, excuse me, not Fox News, Fox Sport Networks, and figuring out whether they were going to buy Tribute Entertainment, which didn't happen. And so Ring of Honor couldn't really go looking for a national TV home when their parent company is trying to absorb all these other pieces, because how will Ring of Honor fit in with all of this that they bought? And all these things worked against them, and I think the, the whatever cool factor they had, it melted away over the course of the year. Um, I don't think the company is in danger of closing. At the end of the day, it was created by Sinclair and purchased from Carrie Silken to be programming for Sinclair broadcast group stations. They're now on the former Fox Sports regional cable stations. Um, I've heard inklings, believe this or not, that Sinclair is going to put more money into it and they're going to have a bigger budget next year. I know they are still chasing talents internationally that they want to bring in. And they are chasing and trying to re-sign Marty Skrull, who's a key player for them right now. And they internally do not look at it as, oh, we're the AWA and we're in the dying days. They look at it as, we've taken our lumps and we're going to come back stronger and we're going to do what we can to come back stronger. Whether they can or not, I don't know. But you just talked about Impact Wrestling having a turnaway crowd in Chicago. Do you think four years ago that would have happened or five years ago that would have happened? No, because because... Before they came here for Bound for Glory, they hadn't been here since Aces and Eights. That was seven or eight years ago. And by the way, when, when Impact Wrestling was here last before Bound for Glory, they were at the Sears Center, the place that AEW sells out, and it was a sellout that night. So it's been a while. So, But, but Impact had certainly been bloodied and bruised from going from Spike to Destination America to Pop TV and now Access, but they're kind of in a resurging period now. Mm-hmm. Things can turn around. Ring of Honor just has to make the right moves. I'm, I, I won't lie. I'm worried about them, too. Because if Ring of Honor goes down, I look at it as one less thing to write about, one less thing for fans to care about, and 20, 30, 40 wrestlers out of work who may not get picked up elsewhere. I lived through the end of ECW and WCW and watched people who were making a full-time living in wrestling going to, like, parking cars for a living in certain cases or never returning to pro wrestling on a full-time basis. I don't want to ever see that happen for anybody. So I do worry, um, but I, I think if Sinclair wasn't the backer and the owner, there'd be far more cause for concern. Sinclair being one of the biggest owners of television stations in the entire country, they certainly can absorb the losses, and Ring of Honor is a very small part of their business. So I think they'll be around for years to come, believe it or not. Mike, if I go to PWInsider.com, what would I find? Well, if you go to PWInsider.com, you're going to find information about two WWE stars that got suspended today. 
for violating the wellness policy, and apparently they're ringing my doorbell, so I apologize about that. Um, you're also going to find uh, an exclusive interview with Nick Aldis, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, talking about the Into the Fire show that we talked about. And you're going to find uh, an exclusive interview with Ring of Honor star Joe Hendry, as well as our take on Monday Night Raw and all the pay-per-views that are coming up this weekend. There's a lot of shows. And basically, up to the moment, up to the minute coverage of WWE, Ring of Honor, AEW, Impact, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and every pro wrestling company that you could think of in the alphabet soup that uh, we all love of uh, sports entertainment. Again, it's PWInsider.com. Mike, a happy holidays to you and your family, and hope to talk to you again in 2020. There's plenty to talk about, that's for sure. Uh, Jonathan, anytime. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friends, and happy holidays to all my friends in Chicago and beyond, and uh, great wrestling city. Uh, I know I'm a lifelong New Yorker, but even I'll admit the Allstate Arena is the best uh, pro wrestling atmosphere anywhere in the world. I love that building. So enjoy it, folks. It's great. He just loves the beef sandwiches. Mike, Amen. How's <laughs> beef, baby? <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Take care, guys.